Happy Mother's Day. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's always been extra fun as I became a grandmother. That's just, there's something about that that's just very, very, very special to me. But I would like to acknowledge, even while we say Happy Mother's Day, that I know that there are people for whom this day is difficult. And those who have lost their mother, their mothers have passed away, particularly in the last year, those who have lost children, those who have never been able to conceive, I know that those, those situations make this day particularly hard. And so I ask you to lift up these moms or these moms that would like to be moms or those that are grieving as we celebrate this day. And may God bless all of us on this Mother's Day. I want to share a couple of memories with you. It's, it's kind of fun when I, when I speak on a Mother's Day because I actually have not preached Mother's Day, but I think twice uh, in the past. Somehow it just didn't happen that way. But I wanted to share with you one Mother's Day, probably 10, 12 years ago, when I was here at this church, and all of my sons were around. My husband was around, and I don't know whether my son Andy will remember this. He was very young. He was not culpable for what I'm about to tell him. I don't believe he was driving age yet, but three cars brought the family down for Mother's Day, for the, for the services and so forth. And I was involved in the church. I was not yet a pastor. And the service was over, and I went out in the narthex and talked to people as I do. And suddenly I realized that my son and my husband were gone. And I was confused. Where did they go? They'd forgotten me. Do you remember that? No good. <laughs> Everyone thought somebody else had mom. And the result was I was lost on Mother's Day. And someone said to me, I wouldn't be your son or husband today for anything in the world. <laughs> Obviously, I've never forgotten. I've never forgotten. The second thing I want to share with you was, we used to have a tradition, and many of you have attended the church for a long time. Do you remember the tradition on Mother's Day and Father's Day where instead of the pastor preaching, we had three women that would get up and speak on, on Father's Day and three men that would speak on Mother's Day. Do you remember that? And we would hear from people that didn't usually get up and speak. And I remember this one Mother's Day, and it was the last time we had this tradition. I might have had something to do with it. It was kind of fun. And I was sitting in the pew with my sons and with my husband, and there were three different people that got up that day to speak. And they, one was a son who's a teenager, talking about his mom. One was talking about his wife. One was talking about an elderly mother. And each of the three, in turn, talked about perfection. Their mother was perfect. Their mother, their wife, was perfect. And what I remember most was the one, the teenager. Because I had teenage sons at the time, and I remember this teenager getting up and saying, My mom is the best mom. She 
when I bring friends home at 10 o'clock at night, she will get out of bed and make snacks for them. Who does that? And my sons are sitting there going, yeah, mom, yeah, mom. And so when the guy gets up and talks about his perfect wife, you know, my husband, yeah, and I'm thinking, is this what I came to church for? To leave feeling so guilty and like such a bad mother and so, you know, it was just, it was so hard. And so even though at that time I wasn't quite as bold as I'd become, that day I was empowered and I went up to Pastor Steve and I said, don't you ever do that again. And he looked, he was startled. He said, what? I said, what did I do this time? And <laughs> I said, don't you ever have three people get up and talk about perfect people. Because they don't exist. Perfect people don't exist. And not everybody has a perfect wife. Not everybody has a perfect mother. And I was aware of the pain of Mother's Day. Pastor Steve looked at me and he says, hmm, I get that you'll be preaching on Father's Day, right? Because he knew that I came from a difficult childhood. My father was an abusive alcoholic, and I knew what it was not to have a perfect parent. I had never preached before. It is his fault that you have to put up with me today. Just saying. I will come back to that sermon, that first sermon I ever preached later in the message. We've been doing a series on seeing is believing the whole year. You've almost survived the whole series. This last part is what Jesus saw. We've talked about Jesus seeing generosity. We've talked about Jesus seeing pain. We've talked about Jesus seeing sin, no matter how much we try to hide it. And today, we're going to discuss the story of the woman at the well. Because it's such a long passage that I'm going to share with you, please feel free to stay seated if you would like. If you'd like to stand, you are welcome to do so. Let me share with you this reading of God's Word. From the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. So ends the reading of God's word, and you may be seated now. Let me set the scene for you of this story. Picture a very dry desert area. Samaria was in the part of the Holy Land that was extremely dry. Picture a well. The well doesn't look like what we're used to a well with the the walls up like this and the crank and, and that sort of thing. Rather, it was a deep hole dug in the ground down to where they could get water. And we know from what she said it was very deep, that water was hard to come by because it had to be dug so very deep. Probably the top was surrounded by stones. And so this is where Jesus sat. He was very tired. The disciples had gone into town, and he is taking a rest by the well. It says in our passage it was around noon. What is life like? What is the heat like at noon in the desert? It's hot. It's really hot. And along comes this Samaritan woman to get water. Is she crazy? Why would you come to get your water in the heat of the day? Why wouldn't she come in the early morning? Why wouldn't she wait until the evening to come? Have you thought about that with this story? In the heat of the day, nobody else is going to be there. In this particular culture, The time that women came to the well to get the water was a social hour where we have our coffee time. They had their well time. And so they would come together and they would talk and share the stories of the day, probably the gossip. Maybe in the cool evening, a few would come back. It means the woman was safe, but she was unlikely to run into anyone. Why didn't she want to run into people? She is ashamed because the people of the town know her background. They know she's had five husbands. 
They know she's living with some guy who's not her husband. She is a fallen woman. She was likely to be judged, to be taunted, to be humiliated by the other women, and to be ostracized. And so she's trying to go to the well to do what needs to be done, but without having to deal with the people that are there. Have you ever experienced a situation where you have avoided people? Maybe maybe it's shame, maybe it's discomfort, but it's hard to face people. This is the way she was making her choices. Imagine now that she comes to the well, and seated at the well is a Jewish rabbi. What a surprise. But she assumes because Samaritans didn't associate with Jews, nor the Jews with Samaritans, the Samaritans were considered to be impure. The Samaritans didn't think any better of the Jews. And so it was considered absolutely unacceptable to speak to one another. It was definitely unacceptable to do anything with each other. And here comes the Samaritan woman. She sees a Jewish rabbi. She assumes she'll be left alone by the judge. What a surprise. Jesus sees her, doesn't avoid her, sees her, and asks him for a drink. Has he lost his mind? Doesn't he know that society has rules? He knows she's a Samaritan woman. Wait, he's a single man. He's a woman alone. There's no chaperone. She is Samaritan. He is Jew. He is not supposed to speak to her. He is a rabbi. She is nothing. No wonder she's surprised by the request. But perhaps he was so thirsty that he didn't care. Perhaps he had something greater to do in his conversation. He says something incredible to her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. It is a gift from God when Jesus asks us for something. Do you realize that? When he asks us to do something for him, it is a gift to us. I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't quite look at things that way. If he asked you for a drink of water, would you give it to him? If he asked you for a meal, would you feed him? If he asked for your time, for your resources, for your very life, would we give him what he asked for and consider it a gift to be able to do that? Are we thirsty? Are we thirsty? Her response, very practical, I love it. Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. It's like, right, you would give me water. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? Does that sound kind of strange? Why, why did he have to be great to give her living water? Maybe we'll help to understand it this way. In this time, living water was a common term. It was not just something that John used to express this spiritual lesson. Living water meant moving water. 
Okay, so it was living because it's not sitting and being stagnant. And so you're talking about a spring, a moving spring, or a river. Didn't Jesus know where he was? There was no river anywhere nearby. There were no springs. That's why Jacob's well had to be so deep. And so he's saying, I would have given you living water. What? Not only don't you have anything to draw with, but there is no living water here. The other fact is that living water was what had to be used to purify someone in the temple. And so when he is talking about living water, he is offering her total cleansing. Logic says, if he needed her to get him water, she is unable to get the living water as he is talking. She hears his words on the most superficial level. I think we do that a lot. She doesn't get the fact that he's offering her the very water that can cleanse her from sin. Do we accept what he offers at a superficial level? I don't I do sometimes. We look at it and we say, okay, if I believe in Jesus, I will have life after death, which is true and a tremendous gift. But he is offering us living water something that will quench our thirst now. Jesus answered her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. She replied, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Everyone who drinks water from the well will be thirsty again. Relief from thirst is temporary. No long-term relief. You can get thirsty again. You can feel parched. Have you ever been really thirsty? Really, really thirsty? Have you ever been outside and been in the heat of the day, maybe doing gardening, maybe playing a softball game, a golf game? Some people like to do running, they like to do lots of things outside. Have you ever been outside and gotten really, really hot? Ever? I have. I did it yesterday. I was in my garden and it was getting towards the heat of the day. And I was like, I'm so hot. I'm, I need some water. I need to get a drink of water. So if you were hot and thirsty and you came to me, how would you react if I offered you a hot cup of coffee? you react to that? I, I remember when I was going to, away to college, I went to Arizona State University my first two years, and I moved there from North Carolina. So I used to talk just like this, so I can do it anytime I want. So imagine a southern girl, and it's 107 degrees. It's August in Phoenix. It's 107 degrees. I was hot. I was incredibly hot. Incredibly thirsty, and I went into a restaurant and I ordered tea. They brought me hot tea. What? What? Don't they know that tea is sweet and it's iced tea? 
don't they know this? It was not logical to them to offer me hot tea. But for them, that's what people normally wanted. What, what if I offered you warm milk? You see people grimacing. That's an idiot. What do you want when you're really thirsty? You want water? There's some things I can think of that I'm not going to talk about that people love to drink when it's really hot outside. Some people I know drink beer. <laughs> but something thirst quenching, something cool. But even when you have it, you're going to get thirsty again. At some point, you're going to be thirsty again. The woman at the well wants Jesus' living water because of two reasons. She doesn't, this is what she says, she doesn't want to feel thirsty, and she doesn't want to have to be tempted to death. But do we understand what she really wants the living water to accomplish? She doesn't want to think of it that way, because she doesn't want to face the people. She doesn't want to face the people that are going to judge her. She wants to escape these feelings that she is having, the guilt that she is having, the shame. She's not listening very well to Jesus, though, is she? At least she was unable to understand what Jesus was really offering. With this living water, what could happen? No more thirst, Jesus said. Indeed, she says, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The word for welling up means leaping. Leaping up. I don't know about you, but when I drink water, it doesn't seem desirable to have to leap. But this is what Jesus is doing. Leaping up to eternal life. But what is eternal life? I thought eternal life was the promise of life after death. Is that the way you understand it too? That's the way I always understood it. That's what we talk about a lot. But eternal life starts the moment you drink that water as you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and it keeps flowing. It keeps flowing. It's a spring of water. Drink the water. Then be so full of that water that it bubbles up so powerfully that it can't be held in. That's what Jesus is offering her. A well fed by a spring. That's a spring, the well type of well we're talking about. Full of Jesus' life-giving water, continually replenished by the Holy Spirit. Leaping up. I had someone say to me years ago, I didn't understand the concept of the Holy Spirit for a long, long time. And someone said to me, you know what, Mary? Every now and then, Get Holy Spirit giggles. Holy Spirit giggles. What could that be? Have you ever had Holy Spirit giggles? Does it sound like fun? It did to me. I thought that sounded kind of fun. Oh, yeah, and you remember David? You remember what happened when he got room full of joy? He danced. He danced because he couldn't help himself. This is what Jesus is offering. This woman at the well. Eternal life without beginning, without end. 
always has been, always will be, never be without that river of life. I love the passage in Revelation chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. The original fruit of the month says. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nation. Picture that river. Crystal clear. Flowing, pouring out from the throne of God. That's the living water that Jesus is offering to the woman and to us. When she and we receive that living water, we can drink and be refreshed continually, no matter what is happening in our lives. If this is a tough day for you because it's Mother's Day, it's a special time that you can take a big swallow of that living water. It's not quite just that simple, though, as we learn a little more into the passage. First, we must realize that we need to drink. Are you thirsty? Verse 16, he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. She told the simple fact that she had no husband. That's, I think, all she intended to have on that matter was that I have no husband. True statement. Jesus, though, saw the whole story. He saw her shame. He saw her sin. He saw exactly who and what she was. Yeah. He had just offered her living water. Do you see the hope in that for us? He offers it to us no matter what we've done, no matter who we are. He offers it. And what does she say after Jesus has just let on that he knows, although you love women, they are so good at deflecting. She did what every woman would do. She started a theological discussion. I know, ladies, that that's what we would all do, right? We've just been discovered. Change the subject quickly. She doesn't break down. She doesn't run away. She just changes the subject. And it is astonishing that Jesus had a theological discussion with her. It's astonishing that he talked to a woman and had a theological debate with her. That he talked to a Samaritan was stunning. It was amazing that he took the time to talk to this type of woman. No wonder when the disciples come back, Scripture says they were stunned. They were shocked. What is her response to learning who he is and to responding to the gift he's given her? 
Verse 28, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? That water jar? I don't need it anymore. She left the jar. She ran back. And she ran back to the people who had ostracized her, who had judged her, to whom she was She ran back to tell them the good news. She was one of the first evangelists. Why? Because she drank the water. She drank it deeply. She knew that that water she was dying of thirst. And it bubbled up. And she had to go share it. So what does it take for us to drink that water? What does it take? First, don't mistake what you're drinking for the real thing. Don't mistake it. She was looking for love. And as the song says, in all the wrong places, she was thirsty for being loved. Most of us are. Do we try to find it in relationships? Have you realized people are not perfect? People inevitably let us down. If the spouse doesn't fill that need for love, then some have affairs. Some turn to pornography. Some simply have unfulfilling relationships and grow bitter and grow dry. Relationships with friends, with family, people aren't perfect. And our thirst is not going to be satisfied by their love for us. It's not going to happen. Are we thirsting for acceptance? She was. Do we try to please others? Are you a people pleaser? Sometimes that's what it leads to. We want to be accepted. We try to act the right way. We try to look the right way. Or maybe we're thirsty for self-esteem. We don't feel very good about ourselves. Maybe we don't think we make enough money, so we work harder. We don't have enough of the right possessions, so we buy more. We need to look the part. Or perhaps thirsting for power. Or most commonly, thirsting for control. It's an illusion anyway. Why do we try to grab it? Why do we become addicted to work? Why do we become domineering and try to make everything happen our way? Why are we thirsting and looking in the wrong places? We must realize that we are dying of thirst. We are parched unless we are drinking from that stream of living water. We must realize that only Jesus will fill the need. Only Jesus can touch. We need to make the choice to drink from the well. We need to develop a deep relationship with Him by spending time with Him in prayer and in His Word, and He will saturate us. We need to develop deep relationships with other people who together with us learn more about him. We need to stop trying to earn acceptance from people and to raise our self-esteem. Jesus accepts us. He created us. Do you know what it says in Ephesians 2.10? Do you know what we are? I love this. This word is there only once in all of Scripture. We are God's masterpiece. Do you need to feel good about yourself today? You are God's masterpiece. My first sermon, 
I preach on the fact that being the daughter of a very, very imperfect human does not define who I am. I am the daughter of the king. I am the daughter of the king because I claim Jesus. And that is what defines me. sons and daughters of the King. No matter what you've experienced, no matter the mistakes you've made, we are accepted and we are loved. We need to give up power and control. Surrender our finances, surrender our relationships, surrender our future. The more we trust Jesus with these things, the more we are blessed. And we need to share the water. We need to share it. Let others see the Holy Spirit within us. Tell them what He's done for us. Make your goal to have them say this. This is the last verse in the whole long passage. They said, the people of the town, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. This is Jesus. They were Samaritans. They thought to themselves, Jesus sees our thirst. He sees our thirst. Do we? Do we? Do we need to recognize your thirst? We need to drink from your water. Would you pray with me, please? Lord God, thank you. Thank you for being the living water. Oh, Lord, I'm thirsty. I need you. And Lord, I know that I'm not alone. There's not one here who doesn't. Thank you for the gift that you make to us, that you give to us. Let us receive it. Let us not be satisfied until we are full to the brim and overflowing. Lord, we love you. And we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, Amen.